Welcome to Let Me Write with Dr. Laura Lee Greaves. Laura, thank you so much for being here to speak with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role or position at QUT? So I am a current PhD student um, with HACLA at QUT. I have some rapid fire questions for you, but before we go into that, I thought we pronounced your the second name Lay. So for the past year and a half, <laughs> I've been calling you Laura Laygree. Common misconception. It's Laygree. Apologies. <laughs> okay. So first question: What are your pronouns? Uh, she. Perfect. Thank you. Um, highlight of the year so far. Uh, so we went to the UK early this year for my brother's wedding, which was lovely. Oh, wonderful. In a summer wedding, would have been excellent. It's Your uh, hot drink order? So I'm English, and so I don't drink coffee, I do drink tea. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you sing at karaoke? Uh, so it's slightly embarrassing confessioning that I have never done karaoke, nor do I wish to do karaoke, but it would probably be something nursery rhymed or wiggles <laughs> children. I have suggested to Laura that she should listen to the Wiggles Like a Version rendition of The Elephant. I think it's a perfect collaboration of, you know, modern Australian pop with the Wiggles. Like, how much better could and we I get a song? I have to add it to my spot list. <laughs> Spotify <laughs> list for the way home. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> uh, can we um, go to our first substantive question of the day, which is, Laura, could you tell us a bit about your current research or research interest in end-of-life law at the moment? So my PhD is looking at doctors or medical practitioners and their participation in voluntary assisted dying. Uh, so that is going to be a longitudinal study about doctors who have no in-principle objection to voluntary assisted dying. That doesn't necessarily mean that they want to participate in the process, but just that they don't object to it. Um, and what their current feelings are before they get involved, um, any apprehensions or expected challenges or what they think it's going to be like, um, and then what exactly it is their experiences are once they do participate. So that means that you're doing interviews before and then during their experiences. That's really interesting. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So we're doing at least two, maybe three, we'll see how time goes. Um, sets of interviews, ideally with the same cohort of doctors, um, one during the implementation phase, so before the law comes active and people can participate or access branches to dying, and then the second set after a year. Um, so in order to see how that first year has gone um, and what the experiences are and whether they have changed to what um, they thought they were going to go into. So you have a professional and perhaps personal interest in doctors' perspectives? Uh, yes, that's very true. I am myself a doctor. Um, so I do have an interest in how the doctors experience this. Um, as it is a challenging subject for the whole of society and doctors as part of that as well have varying views and it's in it as well. So you've said that you've done perhaps one load of interviews and you're going to do another set of interviews. Do you have any like preliminary findings or thoughts on some of the things that you've discussed? Yes, so you're right, we have done one set of interviews. We're still waiting to conduct um, the next one at the start of next year. So our findings are still preliminary and hopefully will come out in publication in the next mm, little while. <laughs> um, 
but the um, doctors that we have interviewed so far had varying uh, views on how willing or not they were to participate in voluntary assisted dying, which is to be expected um, for a variety of personal reasons, because um, there are different parts of the process that they can be affected, so completely or just for an assessment, etc. And the anticipated challenges or what they thought might be particularly challenging was reflected in findings that have been found in Victoria and elsewhere, such as the significant time requirement, the emotional ramifications that were likely to occur, um, the time and monetary points <coughs> that have been reported, um, as well as perceptions from other colleagues as well as society. Um, and what that would have implications for their role going forwards. It's really interesting and tricky, isn't it? Because the way it has been set up in Australia is that it does require so much of doctors um, and also nurse practitioners and registered nurses in some jurisdictions. Uh, so it, it is really interesting that as a society, we've kind of thrust this role upon doctors, but there are all of those massive concerns that you've raised. In terms of um, exploring some of those a little bit more if possible, so you mentioned that the remuneration, and we've talked about this a bit with Casey Haney as well, but can you maybe just talk a little bit more about some of those concerns? Yeah, so um, as you may have um, established that uh, euthanasia as it's termed or voluntary assisted dying is um, excluded from MDS, which is how many general practitioners bill for their patients, but also how specialists in hospitals bill for their patients as well. So it does mean that doctors who are maybe willing to participate or open to participating um, cannot be remunerated for their time, which for some people is not so much of a problem if they have a particular um, wish to do it for certain patients or because they have a very strong belief in voluntary assisted dying but for a vast majority of people it seems to be the feeling that because there is such a time requirement and even for just the legal um, parts of the process it can take really up to 10 hours and that's not including any additional counselling or um, discussions with family members that they may wish to do as part of good medical practice or they feel is important that is a significant amount of time um, that they can't necessarily put aside if it's going to have implications not only for their remuneration but time on their other work and other patients. I can also imagine if um, voluntary assisted dying laws require training for health practitioners that at the start there may be very few practitioners available so there is a concentration of patients going to one or just a few doctors who aren't being re remunerated for this it's not just 10 hours in a year you know it could be a very substantial amount of of time that they're not paid for absolutely um and as you say that's an increased workload if there aren't isn't that cohort of doctors available to do it and there are patients going to the same ones um, which has not just uh, financial ramifications but also emotional ramifications mm. if these doctors are um, going through this process time and time again in a frequency that um, they may feel is sustainable um, but there may come a point where they feel that it's not sustainable and so the option to uh, pause or stop providing for a period of time um, has uh, been brought up as beneficial um, but again the balance between wanting to provide this service for patients um, but feeling of what they can provide within their own time and professional practice is 
a difficult balance to strike. So before we turn to some of the solutions to the issues that you've identified, I just have one question. So I know from some of the literature in Canada, for example, and elsewhere, doctors um, or other professionals that are involved in assisted dying often find it really meaningful and rewarding. And you flagged that some people might want to participate because they really strongly believe in it. Did you have any thoughts about people sort of reflecting um, before they participated about how that might change their practice or how they might find this particularly rewarding over and above the work that they're already involved in? Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry, no, <laughs> good <was> question. <laughs> it is a good question. So um, probably brought up in a slightly different way um, in that the possibility of a good death or a possibility of a death without protracted suffering or without a protracted period of death was a very promising and optimistic thing for these patients. And that is what um, they looked um, kind of in that same vein, uh, providing. Um, Excellent. Um, I just have one more question as well. I can imagine, I mean, uh, you know, most of my understanding about end of life or involuntary assisted dying comes from the perspective of like either just a, a concerned citizen. I'm like I am an advocate for introducing this legislation. And I think it's so important for patients, but I've actually never truly sat down and thought about doctors have to provide this, and regardless of how they like strongly that strongly they support it, you know, it is assisting someone to die. Um, are there any like uh, potential concerns around like? counselling for doctors or um, like ongoing support for doctors or like the how they foresee their protected like longevity as being a voluntary assisted dying profession professional sorry yeah so that's um an excellent thought and something that has been brought up by people in these conversations as well that it is a change in tack from what doctors usually do um so the support and emotional support, especially for those that have to go through, are choose to go through this process, um, is vitally important. So what that looks like depends on what um, people wish it to look like. But there was a sense that peer support, which is essentially a cooperative of people that are doing the same thing, can talk about their experiences um, and provide support to each other in that way would be vitally important. People can dip in and out um, as and when they feel it's required, but to have that set up there would be very beneficial. And for the states in Australia where voluntary assisted dying has become legal, um, there is that peer-to-peer -peer support group that has been set up in each state. Um, so they were looking forward to and that has already started, so that's beneficial. That, that's really interesting, Laura. And I guess having a community of practice is one of the solutions from sort of a policy or a, a broader regulation perspective. You've mentioned a few other problems. What do you think some of the solutions are in terms of the people who are implementing these systems to help address some of those problems that you've raised? So... Um, I think the glaringly obvious one, which has probably been brought up before, is the remuneration. So whether that is um, to change the exclusion from NDS or whether there is a designated separate funding for voluntary assisted dying as they've done in New Zealand. Um, moving on to the last question. Um, 
Do you have any advice for individuals in the community or potentially probably more specific to this podcast, doctors who are thinking of um, becoming trained or those who have begun the process of being involved? Do you have any advice or things that they should know about? Good question. So um, I guess for the general public um, is that not everybody can provide voluntary assisted dying. There are certain eligibility criteria on doctors who can participate. Um, so talk to the doctors about it doesn't necessarily mean that they can or are willing to participate and I think particularly pertinent for doctors is that um, you can be as involved or not in the process as you wish to be so there are roles that um, are very involved there are roles that are slightly more removed and that you can just do an assessment and not be involved in the actual administration side of it um, but also you can choose um, who you provide voluntary assisted dying for so you do not have to provide that um, requests they can be any of your own patients, prospective patients. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. And I think as somebody who isn't a doctor and who would never be in a situation where I would have to make the decisions about what I do, is I, I do often find myself thinking, oh, it's such a problem that you know there aren't enough doctors and that's really hard. But actually, it's good to have that reminder that these are people who have their own lives, their, their own practices, and they need to be able to make these decisions for themselves about what they're comfortable um, and able to participate in. So I think this has been a really good reminder of that. Mm. So thank you very much. That's an excellent point. Just, you know, being reminded of the emotional balance that these doctors need to have and that we, we shouldn't ask too much of them at all. So I'm out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This has been really thank helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Our thank pleasure. You. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you. <laughs>